Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. So something about the, the the judgment of the judgments of thoughts or judgments of states of being as being undesirable, being um, rec- those being recognitions of something that isn't Buddha. Mm-hmm. Those are the, the recognition of it not being Buddha yeah. is the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like. This is my life. This stuff is not, doesn't belong. This is this is Buddha. None of this other stuff. Someone else. Stan. <laughs> I feel like I could get in trouble for saying this a little bit, but I feel a little fiery today. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just thinking to when we were talking, when you were talking about the survey and the 42% of people who didn't believe in God, uh-huh. and the, what arose in the room was laughter, uh-huh. and I just, like, I really do understand that, yeah. and it, to me it feels like what arose more was like almost a sense of elitism rather than compassion, mm-hmm. and like I wonder where the upaya is in that, yeah. and how, like how do we meet those people as the birds like you were talking about? Because I, I really believe that's the only way that we can affect change mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to really understand the intersections that brought them to check that on the wow. box. The Buddha seems to be saying exactly the same thing in the Lotus Sutra. All, all the teachings are skillful means. Every single teaching is skillful means. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to add, you know, to add to that, in a way, what the Lotus Sutra is saying is that the Buddha Dharma, the, the, te- the teachings, are not the truth. We keep thinking the teaching is the truth, but the teaching is provisional. The teaching is contingent on what, who's being taught at what time. And the teachings need to change. They need a different costume. They need to be dressed in the culture that they're in. Um... And when you say the teachings uh, there, they're referring to the earlier teachings that were part of the Pali Canon? The Lotus Sutra seems to be saying that all the teachings are not true. The, to that point in time that the community no, has... No, or All, teaching all ev- the teachings all are not to... the truth. Okay. They're just skillful means. Mm-hmm. 
It's a bit hard to hear at some level. Yeah. And also, it's a, a it's a it's a deep critique mm-hmm. that is based on the teachings of emptiness. Yeah. That there is no thing in there that is the truth. And yet, there's a vehicle. Somebody else. I'd like to hear a couple other comments. Yeah. I guess, well, just to continue on that note, it's the disparity between uh, something's representation and its actual practice or entity, and not to get too caught up in its representation. Uh huh. It's like saying the, the Buddha's life story was just a story. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not true. But isn't that true for all of us? I mean, your life story. This was a homework one week. Do you remember in the fall we did this? For homework one week where I asked you to go to bed at night. Some of you weren't here, but you go to bed at night. You close your eyes. And before you fall asleep, you start from the earliest memory you have. And you start telling the story of your life to yourself. And then every once in a while you stop and you go... Is this true? <laughs> and you just like check that, and then you start telling the story again. And every once in a while, I just is this true? You know, it's provisionally true. And every time you tell that story again, it's true in a new way, and parts of it are not true in a new way. like if you're basically awake on um, a realization, then you've kind of missed it, and you've lost yourself somewhere along the the way. And Mm -hmm. just in my own practice, uh, that kind of, that sometimes happens when I think I've I've gotten something, Mm -hmm. and just even getting a little bit uh, comfortable with that, you know, reminds me to start again, right? Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Nicole? I like this line, uh, realization always differs from your expectations. There's, I like this simplicity of it and how... Like you think, oh yeah, what you expect is never what happens, but I don't actually feel like that's what it means. If you look at realization as realization, as expectation as expectation, they're not. Ah, uh-huh. They're not the same thing. Uh-huh. So they're not, that's why, you know, like they differ. Like, they differ. They differ. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't. It's not playing one up. Yeah, I don't, I just like how simple that statement is. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. You know, when Roshi was here a few weeks ago, um, she, I, I was telling her about how my son really wants to go to New York and visit. And um, so she said, uh, what, what does he really want to visit? I said, well, well, funny enough, he wants to visit the aircraft carrier that's parked in the Hudson River. And she said, oh, funny you should mention that. 
She said, you know, she walks along the Hudson every single week. And she always walks by this aircraft carrier and, like, sneers at it, you know. Like, why, why do they park this thing in Manhattan, you know? And, and, of course, if you've ever seen that aircraft carrier, it's full of kids, right? Because it's all kids who want to go you know, check it out. And she said, one day I realized, like, I have to go to the aircraft carrier. <laughs> so she, she went on the aircraft carrier and she loved it. She said, she said, like, over in every room she walked in, she was amazed at human engineering. And that anybody, and you know, if you know Roshi, she's a you know, old communist and left wing. You know, she's been through a lot of phases, but they've all been pretty lefty. And uh, she, she just, she really loves this aircraft carrier. So, and she can talk in detail about this this aircraft carrier, and also that's realization. At the same time, how do you hold both those things, but not? And we've been talking about this in the precepts course, not relativistically, but in the sense that like, you still have to do something, and you have to take a position. So it's not like everything's empty, and like it's all psychedelic swirls, <laughs> you know? But actually, like, yes, yes, there's realization, there's oneness, and there's also like this body here that has boundaries and that isn't you. Don't pick my nose. <laughs> so like when my nose is itchy, I don't go over to Doug. When I eat, he doesn't get full. And yet, um, we're also Buddhas. And some contemporary Japanese scholars, I was hanging out with them yesterday, Robart's library, uh, they say that actually Mahayana Buddhism is not Buddhism. That actually this teaching that you are all inherently a Buddha is a polar opposite of what the Buddha was trying to teach by saying that we are all independent, interdependent and there is no essential essence there that you can really rely on. And these scholars are saying, well, actually the Japanese really got it wrong. And, and none of that stuff is Buddhism. <laughs> it's the opposite of what the Buddha taught. And, you know, I think maybe they didn't read the Lotus Sutra in quite the way that we're reading it, but the Lotus Sutra is basically reminding all of you that um, you, you can't own anything. And that all these teachings are all just provisional, contingent, depending on the person. And also, your life has unfolded in a way where it's caused you to, to develop tools. And everyone's life has, has pressed different tools into them. So each of you, if you were a, 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 an idol, a bodhisattva, and you had different arms coming out of you, they would each have a different tool. Some of you would have guitars and horns, and some of you would have you know, calculators, and some of you would have 
aircraft carriers, <laughs> and some of you, you know, can, can write, and some of you can do calligraphy, and some of you can, you know, write poetry. There's like three left or something. <laughs> and um, these are the tools that you've had to develop in your life to respond to conditions. And um, those tools are the way you now can serve. Because you had to you those are your skillful uh, means. All of us here. And your wounds become your tools when you see them as realization. And um, in the next chapter, this is my conclusion, in the next chapter, um, the Buddha finally starts teaching the Lotus Sutra. He still hasn't taught the Lotus Sutra. We're like, deep in, like a quarter of the way through the book, and they've been talking about how the Lotus Sutra is going to be preached, how it's a skillful means, on and on and on, but we still actually haven't heard any teaching yet. So now the Buddha is going to teach, and he's going to use a parable about uh, uh, a house on fire, and how a father tries to save his family from in a burning house. And it's actually a teaching on addiction and how to work with addiction. So this is what we're going to cover next week, is actually how the tools that we've used in our life can uh, be creatively tuned uh, to serve others, and then how this action of serving others continues to heal our own wounds. A Buddha and a Buddha. You know, like some of us who think we can heal like all our wounds without relationships. I'm so fucked up. I'm just like going to go to... I, there are people who, who live in caves, who, who actually live in community. They can't let themselves be touched by anyone. I have nothing to offer. Have you ever felt like this? I have, not, I have, not, I have no tools. What's he talking about tools? If I had a thousand arms, they'd be empty, you know. <laughs> or they'd be like filled with tools pointing at me. <laughs> Arrows and guns. And... So, um, we'll stop here and we'll continue next week on the subject of upaya, skillful means, and um, the house on fire. And you, you should also know, I want to keep going to the next chapter, but you should also know that this house on fire is, this is the parable that Thich Nhat Hanh was teaching during the Vietnam War, which inspired um, uh, two monks in his sangha to immolate themselves, which uh, everyone's seen those images. It was on the front cover, I think, of, of Life magazine during the Vietnam War. But I think a lot of people don't know the background to that story. And so maybe next week we'll, we'll, we'll get into that and a little about how those are related. Okay, so let's finish chanting. Uh, Life and death are of supreme importance. Life and death are supreme importance. Time passes swiftly and opportunity is lost. 
Let us awaken. Awaken. Do not squander your life. May all beings be happy. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be safe and free from danger. May all beings be safe and free from danger. May all beings be free from their ancient and twisted habits. May all beings be free from their ancient and twisted habits. May all beings be free from every form of suffering. May all beings be free from every form of suffering. Thank you.